It was the hardest day of your life. I could see the grief on your face and I just don't even remember what I said. I'm sorry that I said the wrong thing. I knew that you lost your baby to a miscarriage and I didn't want to say the wrong thing, so I didn't say anything. I'm so sorry. I know that you lost your dad and I wasn't there for you. I wasn't the friend that I should have been and I'm sorry. I told you that God must have needed your baby more than you did. I, I don't even know what that means. Please forgive me. It wasn't helpful for me to say that God needed another angel. I shouldn't have said it. Please forgive me. You probably needed to talk about your grief and share your memories and, and cry and I just, I kept changing the subject. Please forgive me. You needed a space to cry and instead I was trying to make you laugh. I didn't give you the space that you needed and I'm sorry. I just didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to say. We've all been there. We've been the one that said words and we realized it probably didn't offer any comfort. We've also been the one who's grieving. And maybe somebody said something to us and we were just confused by the whole thing. And I think it's because death and grieving is hard. And so the, the lie I want to look at today is that heaven needed another angel. What does that even mean? But let's start in scripture. Let's go to Paul's letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul, Paul writes, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits. 
Then, when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. When we talk about angels, heaven needed another angel, or just talk about angels in the scripture, I think it's important that we actually listen to what scripture says. Because I think a lot of times when we talk about angels, like people refer to their kids as angels. Uh, I've had four kids, and I can tell you, they are not sweet little angels. Not at all. Uh, my, my last one, in fact, this is going to be the first year that we've been here at Messiah that we haven't had a kid at Messiah. Our youngest is going to be at Lutheran High School this next year. Um, but all that time, like I've never looked at my kids and said, oh, sweet little angel. And part of the reason is because I'm a theologian and I know what an angel is. Because nowhere in the Bible does it describe angels as being sweet at all. Certainly not fat little babies with halos and not at all. In fact, maybe you've seen this picture before. The one on the left is maybe that stereotype. This is like the precious moments kind of angel, you know? But in the Bible, the picture looks a lot more like the picture on the right. Multiple wings, sometimes multiple eyes. These are warriors, spiritual beings that are warriors for God with a flaming sword. These are mighty warriors that do battle in heaven. The scripture even talks about fallen angels. Fallen angels doing battle with God's angels for the sake of all eternity. See, when you die, you don't become an angel. Angels are created spiritual beings. Not humans who have died and received a halo and certainly not a chubby baby with wings. These are powerful beings meant to serve God and to serve you. And the scripture does talk about guardian angels that guard you. And here's the reason, because only people are made in the image of God. And apparently that's one of the reasons that Satan defected from God's way. Because he was so appalled that God would make people in his image and then tell angels to serve those people. And so he fell, he left. He didn't want to serve God. He was so insulted by the mere idea. And so the first lie that people believed is a lie that he told them in the garden. Eat this fruit and surely you shall not die. And we believe that lie. And ever from that point, we have faced death the death of those we love, and eventually our own. The Bible mentions that there are multitudes, countless angels out there, but it only names four of them. The archangel Michael, who is the guardian of heaven for God. It mentions Gabriel, who's the chief messenger angel of God. In fact, it's Gabriel who goes to Mary and tells her, you are going to be with child. It mentions Lucifer, a worshiping angel of God, 
who decides to leave God's side, and we now know him as Satan or the devil. And then only in Revelation, the Bible mentions Abaddon. And Abaddon is a fallen angel who guards the abyss and the bottomless pit. Now, I know what people are trying to say when they say that heaven needed another angel. They're trying to say that their loved one is safe with God, which is good. It's good to be reminded that when we lose somebody we love, or God forbid, even if we lost a child, that God is for them, that he has set up heaven for them. It's good to give testimony to the resurrection. That's a good thing. But I think the phrase, heaven needed another angel, really gets two things wrong. Number one, it distorts our view of both angels and people. And number two, it distorts our view of God. See, humans don't become angels when we die, nor should we want to. Because we were created for a better purpose made in the image of God, and we will be recreated in the resurrection as the truest version of ourselves. And when you think angel, think multiple wings and flaming swords. That's why every time an angel shows up in the Bible, people cower on the ground. And it's also why the first words that angels say in just about every passage they're in in the Bible, the first words they have to say to us are, fear not. Because they're scary and they're powerful. They're not babies with halos. But number two, I worry that it distorts our view of God. Because when we say that, we turn God into the angel of death instead of the creator of life. And God didn't invent death or cancer, or car wrecks. God created us to live. And it's our fallen state, it's our brokenness, it's our sin that created all those negative possibilities from that point forward. It is sin that has brought death into this world. It is our separation of God through our brokenness that has made that possible. You aren't created for this body that you have that is now breaking down, that may get cancer. And any explanation about why those things happen is a dangerous thing. If heaven needed another angel means that my child or my friend had to get cancer, that might be more than my faith can take. The good news, that's not what the Bible says. You see, over the years, 20 years in ministry, I have done so many funerals. I have seen them all. I've done funerals in funeral homes. I've done funerals in churches. I've done funerals in cemeteries, in homes. Some of them had caskets. Some of them were cremations. I've done a number of military funerals. And I once did a funeral. And when we were doing the burial two brothers in their 50s began to argue and then began to fight about who gets the third plot next to mom and dad because mom and dad had prepaid for it. 
And they literally started to get in a shoving match and then started coming to blows. And the funeral directors didn't know what to do. I knew what to do. I pulled them apart and I yelled, I will put you both in the ground right now. <laughs> Luckily, I didn't have to. And they knocked it off. But that, that's sometimes what grieving does. In fact, that's what lots of sin can do in our lives too, like greed or whatever else was going on between them. It just causes these problems in our life. So yeah, I have seen it all. And this is my best advice for you. My best advice. Um, you don't have to explain why something happened to someone. You don't have to explain. Don't explain why. Because to do so is dangerous. You're playing God. You're playing God when you answer why something happened. They may want to know why a tragedy happened. They may even say it out loud. But honestly, the answer to why is not what they need. And none of you, none of us have the answer to that anyways. What they need is you. Your presence, your prayers, your love, your faith. Someone just to sit with them when they mourn. Someone who cares about them. Someone who's not afraid of their tears. The person who makes a difference is the one who sends a simple note or a gift in the mail or makes them a bad church casserole. Because it's not about the casserole and it's really not about the gift. It's about you saying, I'm with you. I'm with you, and I love you, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm going to be here for you. That's what it's about. It's about your presence. When my best friend and his two little kids, when they lost his wife, and she was only 39 years old, there were no words. There were no words. He didn't need to know why. The why was brain cancer. What we wanted to know was what. What are we going to do to help him? What are we going to do next? What does he need right now that we can provide so that he can focus on the most important things? And so, of course, my, my friends and I, we, we organized a guy's trip with all the shenanigans that go with that, with high school buddies. And we also organized a, a college fund for his two kids so he didn't have to worry about that. And of all the people that, that came and were a part of everything and that loved their family, within a year, the entire college fund for his two kids was covered. And then my friends and I also thought, maybe there's some normal things around the house he shouldn't worry about. And so a few of us got together and we said to him, we're gonna cover your lawn care for a year because nobody needs to cut the grass when they need to be with their kids, holding their kids. And we got him a maid for a year because nobody needs to be scrubbing toilets when they need to be caring for their kids and 
and caring for themselves. But again, it's not about the casserole and it's not about the maid service or the lawn care or any of that. It's about you saying, I'm with you. I'm with you. Heaven didn't need another angel, but we all need heaven. And in a way, God not only provides that for us eternally, but we can give people a little taste of heaven, God's grace and God's mercy, just by being us, just by being loving. I love it that at the end of Scripture, Jesus' friend John is told at the end of Revelation, right as he's finishing up the Bible, John is told by God that show them a picture of heaven. Let them know in the midst of their grieving and their struggle and everything else, let them know what I'm preparing for them. And so he shows John this, and then John writes this to us in Revelation 21. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. It came down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. The image that John is showing us is that Christ, Jesus is like a groom and the church, us, we are his bride. Think back to your wedding. How were you at your wedding? Were you nervous? Were you excited? Were your palms maybe a a little clammy? What were you thinking? Were you madly in love? That's what Christ is like for you. That's, That's the picture that John wants to give you. There's a parable that Jesus tells near the end of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew was one of his disciples, and he he tells one of those little stories that Jesus told. It's the parable of the talents. And in the story, there's a rich man, and he needs to go away. And so he entrusts his resources, his money. He entrusts it with three of his servants. To one, he gives five talents. To another, he gives two talents. And to the last, he gives one talent. He says, I need you guys to take care of this for me. And when I return, I'll see what you have done. And The man that had five talents and the servant that had two talents, they both invested it. They risked it all. And luckily, they were able to double the money. And when the ruler came home and he saw this, he was overjoyed. Thank you for taking care of my things and even doing more with it. But the third servant, he feared the master. He was scared to lose what he had been given, what he had been entrusted with. And so he buried it in the dirt. And when the master came home, he dug it up and he gave it back to him saying, here's the same thing you gave me. I I was afraid. And so I just buried it in the dirt to protect it. And the man was so insulted. Like you could have at least put it in the bank and gained a little bit of interest. I don't know, interest rates are going up right now in America, aren't they? You could at least gotten a little bit of interest, but instead you let your fear just bury it. And he threw him out of his home. In the story, this is Jesus talking to his church about heaven. 
people, about people that need God. And he's saying, I've entrusted you, my church. I've entrusted you with resources, with money, with talent, with generosity, with all the things that I give you. I've entrusted this to you. What are you going to do with it? Will you risk it? Will you share it? Or will you just bury it in the ground and just try to keep what you have but not grow it into even more? If the end of this world, if the end of this age came tomorrow, what would you have buried in the dirt? What dreams, potential, what, creati what creativity would you have buried? What passions that are in your heart would you have buried in the ground? What would you have buried in your marriage? What would you have buried in your parenting? or your friendships. Do any of you want some free marriage advice? Say yes, you need it. Yeah, 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 we all need it. Free marriage advice. Don't hold back your heart. Don't bury it. Don't hide it. I promise you that when you show your true self, it can make the relationship stronger, not weaker. Invest it, risk it all. Do that in your relationships. And then think about this image as the church as Christ's bride. Think in this room what could be done for God with all the talent in this room, with all the resources in this room. Think of the gold that's in this church. Think of the 2,600 members plus that call Messiah their home church. Think what could be done with the gold, the potential that God has given us. What do we bury as a church. Because at Messiah, we have dreams, we have creativity, we have potential. We are the bride. If this heaven and this earth came to an end tomorrow, what will we find out that we buried? What will we wish we had done differently? And who will we have buried between us, literally? who never heard the message of Jesus. So think about Jesus' image of heaven. Interestingly enough, most of the times that Jesus describes heaven, it seems like a large party with lots of adult beverages. But that's another sermon. That's another sermon. What does Jesus spend most of his time doing, though? He's teaching his disciples the life of heaven. He's teaching his disciples how to live as if you're in heaven while you're here in this hard world. He's giving him teaching so that we can act like those people, people of grace and love and mercy. We can act like heaven is here, even in this world that's so filled with sin. He's teaching them the flow of heaven. He wants, to, he wants you to practice it now so that you're prepared for later. That's why he says the kingdom of God is here, but it's not yet. Do you want to know what Jesus thought of death? Jesus was so appalled at death that he took on the cross. Jesus was so angry at death that he gave his life to destroy death. 
That's the picture of the cross. And so read that verse right after the ones in Revelation 21, verse 4, where it says, there's going to be in heaven no more tears and no more pain because God has had enough. And if any of you want a big dream, big dreams for God, I'm glad you're at Messiah because that's what a church is supposed to be. Living the future promise now. Acting like we're in heaven now. Living like heaven has already come. And boy, our world needs such an invasion of heaven right now. Such an invasion. We know stories of Jesus going to funerals. In fact, in John chapter 11, Jesus goes to the funeral of his best friend, Lazarus. And when he comes upon the village, the village of Bethany, and he sees his friends, the sisters of Lazarus, Mary and Martha, and when he sees their tears, Jesus doesn't say, heaven needed another angel. Jesus sees their tears, and he cries. In fact, it's the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. That's the whole verse. Jesus wept. Because he's appalled at death. He's angry at death. This should not have happened. This is not what he and his father created this world for. It's not what he created us for. And even though he knows he's about to raise Lazarus to life, Jesus is overcome with grief, just like you and I are. Because this is not what life is supposed to have in it. This is not what it's supposed to be like. And of course, he raises him from the dead. And so again, in Revelation 21, right after he talks about there being no more tears and no more pain, then in verse 5, Christ declares over the universe, behold, I am making all things new. Maybe the raising of Lazarus was to give us hope that he really is making all things new. Maybe it was to show us what is really possible. So when you think of someone you've buried in the past year, Maybe it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago. It doesn't really matter how long ago it was. The pain still stays with you. The grief still comes back. But when you think of them, maybe the Lazarus story is Jesus saying to your heart, my resurrection power is real. Specifically for the face of the person you thought of the funeral you remember. Jesus is saying, I can make all things new. All things. Nothing is outside my power. You can trust me with your eternity, and you can also trust me with your mom, with your dad. You can even trust me with your child if that's what you have to face in this world. Because trust is the beginning of faith. I think if Jesus were in the room today, by the way, Jesus is in the room today. He's just asking me to talk for him. Yeah, Jesus is always with us. But if Jesus were in the room today, he would tell you, set your mind on this. This life is not the end. Trust in me. There will be reunions in heaven. And just imagine, friend, whose face you will see who's going to greet you at the gates. Because I am a savior of reunions. I am a God of reunions. 
and that's for all of you. Just trust in me. And it's a promise I want to give to you. Because I don't want any of you living without hope, he would tell us. Because Jesus is the God of heavenly reunions. And so today, or anytime, as you remember people that you've lost and you've grieved, receive the blessing I say and I have said countless times at so many grave sites over the years. Please rise. Lord, we commit the lives of the people we love to you, earth to earth and ashes to ashes and dust to dust, in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ, who will change our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subdue all things to himself. Amen. And God, bless us today with the confidence in your resurrection. Friends at Messiah, sing with thee. Let's make the gates of hell shake because our Savior is risen and you will be as well. Amen. God bless you.